0: the Hunt Back Country podcast. I am excited that you are tuning in today as we dive into the topic of reloading, or as some would call it, hand loading. So if you've been around the podcast a while, you probably know Steve and I have gotten more into rifles in recent years after both shooting them for a long time, but not really getting too deep into the technicalities. We've been mostly bow hunters and have separately had our own journeys of taking the deep dive into the archery world. Um, and we've both kind of been doing the same thing with rifles recently in the past few years. And so for us, this was personally a topic that we are interested in and know it's a topic that can be overwhelming, especially if you are just beginning and you don't have experience. And so in this very first episode on this topic, we just hit it from a very high level, a basic level to take someone like Steve, who has zero experience reloading and help him understand the process. For me personally, I have reloaded in the past, though it's been for pistol and not for precision centerfire rifle cartridges. So that aspect of the world is still new to me, although I do have some reloading experiences to build off of. So this is going to be a series of podcasts that is going to happen over the course of 2020. We're starting today with this episode, which, as I mentioned, is a very high-level look at the topic. But we will be getting further and further into this topic And also sharing our personal experiences. So not only will we be interviewing experts on reloading and equipment and all of the components that go into that and how to develop loads for your rifle, Steve and I will also be sharing our journey doing the same, the mistakes we make, the things we figure out, the things that hopefully in the end we'll do right, that ultimately will culminate in us having loads for our rifles that we take into the field for our very own hunts. Before we get into today's show, just wanted to give a shout out to JD307 and thank you for the review. JD, send us your shipping information to podcast.xomountgear.com and we will send you some goodies to say thank you. Listeners, if you want to enter into these giveaways, it's really simple. We just want to hear from you. Whether that's a review in iTunes, a review or rating in another podcast platform, or just contacting us with a question, topic, suggestion, that type of thing. We would love to hear from you. And speaking of it, with this topic of reloading, we want to hear from you. What questions do you want answered on future episodes? Let us know. Send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. For now, let's get into this episode. We're joined by some guys from RCBS Reloading Company and their equipment. We talk about how to get started into reloading, why you should get started, or at least consider getting started. And what are some of the basic things that you need to know on this topic? Let's get right into it. Well, guys, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thanks for joining us. Um, Steve, I know this is a topic that you're excited to get into basically starting at, at square one. So as we cover in this episode, a very one-on-one approach to this topic of reloading. Um, I'm sure it'll be helpful for you personally, and hopefully, you know, all the guys listening into this as we get into this topic.
1: Yeah, I've been, uh, reloading to me just uh, seems like this, I don't know, it might as well be on another planet, right? Like, it <laughs> seems extremely complicated, and uh, just, I've always been curious about it. Obviously, the last few years is getting more into rifles, um, so I'm super excited to go through this process, and Start from A and end up all the way at Z, where hopefully I'm reloading my own bullets. Yeah, awesome.
0: Well, guys, uh Steven Wills, we get into this, let's just kick things off with kind of a personal introduction and background from each of you. Feel free to you know, obviously share your role with RCBS, but anything else you want to share to help our listeners get to know you? And Steve, if you could kick that off.
2: Okay, yeah. My name's Steve Coach. I'm product manager and R&D engineer here at RCBS. Uh, I've been doing this just shy of 42 years now. Uh, it's pretty much been a passion my entire life. Started out hunting, shooting, and got into the reloading. i was fortunate enough to uh, end up here at RCBS. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful time.
0: That's awesome. How about you, Will?
2: Yeah, so Will Haymeyer, I'm Senior Product Manager for
3: RCBS. Uh, <laughs> I kind of got on with RCBS about, what, two and a half years ago, Steve? Yeah, about that about two and a half years ago um, started growing up hunting shooting uh, and my dad introduced me to reloading as a way that we could do more shooting at the range everything from uh, shot shell to bullet casting one of those things if we wanted to go to the range and shoot I had to reload the ammo so a lot of times I was just down there cranking out cranking out rounds from probably about the age of ten or eleven at yeah, eleven on so 25, 26 years of reloading experience from myself. Like I said, everything from shot shell to bullet casting to metallic, and uh, now just get to hunt a couple times a year. But most of it's done. Most of my shooting's all kind of precision rifle type shooting, so the PRS type events. So really stretching out longer ranges and uh, just taking that practical shooting aspect.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Steve, it's amazing to hear you've been in this for decades, essentially, and especially with RCBS for that time. Go ahead and give us, I'm personally kind of curious on the background of RCBS, how long they've been around, how things got started, because I almost have this personal connection where one of my former neighbors um, gave me some of his reloading equipment. He's not doing it anymore. He's um, in his late 70s now, and he gave me some equipment and components that look like they're definitely from a different era and it's all rcbs equipment which is kind of super cool to see but what is the kind of the background and history of rcbs
2: well we've been here 77 years now in oroville california fred huntington started the business just out of necessity pretty much he couldn't get components to shoot rock chucks out out west here and uh so he developed presses and or dies essentially to start dies and then presses to uh, make his own varmint bullets, and that's pretty much where CBS has started, and then it has snowballed into what it is today. And we lit we like you said, decades old equipment. It is. It's out there. We have a lifetime warranty on our stuff. Uh, every show, I like to ask the guys that come around, and say, "Hey, I have this old press, and I ask the date. You know, when'd you get it?" You know, and this year it was a 61. Last year it was a 59. I mean, so this stuff is still around and, and still performing very well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned the the impetus to get things started shooting rock chucks. And if anyone's familiar with RCBS at all, they've probably heard of the Rock Chucker press. Was mm-hmm. that the first press, essentially?
2: Well, the, the company's founded pretty much on the Rock Chucker. Uh, you know, Fred started his first big press was the A1. That was the model number, Uh, then the A2, and then the Bs, and uh, they eventually ended up getting the the Rock Chucker name. But yeah, the the company was founded, you know, RCBS stands for Rock Chuck Bullet Swage, and that's pretty much what Fred was doing. He was swaging bullets to shoot Rock Chucks.
0: As we begin to, uh, again, take a very basic look in this episode at Reloading Process, we'll go ahead and like... For guys who are new to the concept, like just let's start with just breaking down the anatomy of a loaded cartridge, if you will. I think, you know, a lot of guys have probably sent lead down range, but maybe haven't taken the time to really look at what's a very simple um, device essentially that a loaded cartridge is. So as we begin to talk about creating one, essentially, go ahead and break down what are the components of a loaded cartridge in terms of um center fire rifle.
3: Sure. So if you look at a centerfire rifle cartridge, you really have your four main components. You have your bullet, you have your case, you have your powder, and then you have your primer. So you put all of those together and you have a loaded round.
0: Okay. So as we break down the topic of reloading, there's a lot, it it can seem intimidating, but it's essentially creating that four part cartridge um and obviously a safe and effective way and there's obviously we're going to get into tolerances and things later but it it really is a matter of taking those four components if you will and essentially assembling it right
3: absolutely and that's one of the things that's probably one of the biggest questions that we get asked at shows is people want to kind of understand the process that's what we tell them it's like you can you can make the process as in-depth and time-consuming and as you want or you can make it really, really simple. I mean the simple thing is you put a primer in a case, you put the powder in the case and you see the bullet. Um, so I mean that's really the those four steps that you have to do. But then there's little there's little things along the way that you have to check and and measure whatever thing else to make sure it's a the cartridge was within specs. But I mean it's it's a really simple process and I mean it looks intimidating just because I mean, there is that powder getting ignited in the case. So, and there's a, a big reaction going on there that can scare people. But if they take the
2: time to learn about it, it's really, it's really nothing to be scared about. Yeah. And that's the mm-hmm. one thing. People are very intimidated. Like Steve, you said earlier about the intimidation process. It's, it is a very simple process once you look into it and understand it a little bit.
0: Let's maybe start with some of the why. Like, for guys out here listening to this, we probably have people all over the map. Um, there's many different reasons to maybe look at reloading ammunition versus just shooting off-the-shelf ammunition consistently. Um, there can be many reasons for that. I mean, for me, I equate it to our archery background. And, you know, you can go buy arrows off the shelf um, that are already cut and fletched and, you know, ready to go. But for me, one reason I like... Building my own arrows is just the kind of personal connection to a understand everything and make sure tolerances are uh, what I want. But then also, honestly, that that connection for me as a hunter of taking an animal with an arrow that I built—like I took all the components, like I did all the work. Every step of the process was under my control, and that can be the same for reloading, right? Like you were essentially taking an animal, in this case, with a cartridge that you've assembled, that you've had every um, bit of control over. And so it's kind of that self-sufficiency aspect of it, that personal connection is something that as hunters maybe could be very appealing in terms of a why to reload. But there's obviously many other reasons. Um, One of the ones that can come up um, is cost. So talk about... You know cost in terms of it's probably one of the most popular questions I know we're gonna get is does reloading truly save money? And obviously the answer is is gonna be it depends um, but go ahead and Steve talk about maybe the cost aspect of that, especially for hunters and obviously everything we're talking about is in the context at this point of center fire rifle, and really look at it is cost one of the reasons that someone you know could or should consider reloading?
2: Yeah, and you said it all depends. And that that is really key. Also, uh, there are definitely some some things in cost to look at. You know, when you get in situations where you have surpluses of ammo and ammo prices are so low, it is sometimes hard to compete. Uh, but for the most part, you will save money depending on the amount of you know time you put into shooting the firearms that you're loading for. You know, the more you shoot, obviously, the more you're going to save. Uh, so that that is a pretty big
0: aspect. yeah I mean, it's one of those things if you're only sending you know the the proverbial guy who breaks out a box of ammunition a year and maybe checks his zero the week before season or whatever, there's obviously no point there, but as you're beginning to look at uh staying consistent with shooting throughout the year and practicing extending effective range, that type of thing, and you're actually getting more rounds down uh, range. There's more possibility there to save money.
2: Absolutely, as in, I mean, and the guy that shoots twenty rounds and make checks a zero should probably be shooting more, anyhow.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
2: and I, yeah,
3: cause, I mean, the way I look yeah. at it also is, if you're shooting a a caliber that's not very common, so say you're shooting like a weathered one of the weathered be magnums. I mean, that box ammo is going to cost you eighty, ninety dollars yeah. a box of ammo. Yep. When yeah. you get when if you save saving your brass and everything, or find once-fired brass or even buying new brass, you might be able to load that same box of ammo for thirty or thirty-five. So, and right. a lot of it depends on bullet type and and those components. But one of the big aspects where you really start saving money is once you start reusing that brass that you fired through your rifle, and you can amortize that that initial cost for the the hundred pieces of brass. You can amortize those down into multiple firings. Mm-hmm. Then again, then that's where you start really saving, seeing some cost savings. Uh, one of the other cool things with reloading is you're able to tailor. You can you get to pick the bullet. I mean, there's a plethora of bullets available on the market, and you can pick the exact bullet that works well in your rifle. Um And being able to tailor it for the game you're for the game you're hunting, you can go out and say, well, I really want to try this nozzler bullet, and it shoots really well. It's good for whitetail, but it's not really the bullet I want to use for elk or mule deer or, or sheep. And being able to tailor that out, you can. I mean, you can pick that that right bullet for the game, and and make sure that you can really squeak all the accuracy potential out of your rifle.
0: Yeah, just a one more quick you know thought while we're talking about cost, and we'll get into um, equipment here in a bit, but specifically on the costs uh, side, before we break down like what all equipment is required, you know, one of the things to look at from from your perspective with RCBs is just looking at something like the rock chucker complete kit, which is, I just pulled it up on your website, it's $325. So as guys are thinking about, well, what is the cost to get involved? um, Obviously, you're going to need to um, add the components in terms of primers and bullets and powder on top of that. But is that a reasonable, like, your average guy who's getting started can go get that rock chucker kit for, you know, around $325 and essentially be ready to go?
2: That is the kit that we push... That that's the kit that we push on people that want to get started reloading. That way you're starting with I mean you're starting with basic equipment, but you're starting with the rock chucker. And uh, that is the top line central stage press for what it does, you know. And that's that is really the kit that we will push on a beginner
0: okay so just to give guys an idea if they're brand new to this topic and as we're talking about costs and they're thinking what does it cost i mean you can get essentially you can get started from equipment perspective for about that much and we'll dive here in a bit later in the conversation about what all is involved um, in the kit and what what equipment is required but just want to kind of hit that real quick we're talking about cost um, going back to what you guys were saying about you know there's kind of I think two things that are related in terms of maybe the why reloading question. And that's, you know, accuracy accuracy slash precision for your rifle. And at the same time, customization, because you're going to be in full control of, as you mentioned previously, you know, your bullet choice and things like that. Um, Steve, one of the questions that, that we've talked about even just here super recently is factory ammunition from my perspective. And I'm not like the most informed person ever, but, over the years, even over recent years, it seems like there's better and better offerings. Um, Is it still one of those things where a guy like Steve, who's just getting started into reloading, can expect to um, be able to uh, create his own cartridges that are essentially as accurate or consistent as maybe some of um, what are these premium ammunitions off the shelf these days?
2: Uh, Reloading, you should be able to get better accuracy. Uh, I mean, it is a process, but, you know, factory ammo is factory ammo. When you reload, you're actually fine-tuning all the components in that cartridge to get optimal accuracy out of your firearm.
0: Help me understand what is why we could be more accurate. And I want to say one has to do with consistency, um, that the consistency that you're doing yourself and the process could be better than call it mass production factory ammo. And then number two is that kind of customization factor of being able to essentially tune your load to your rifle. Are those the two main reasons that reloading can be um, accurate or should be more accurate if you put in the work than off the shelf ammunition?
2: Definitely. The uh, the consistency is is there because you're fine tuning the powder charges. You're finding the powder that the the firearm wants to, Wants to use uh, when you cut when it comes down to the projectiles. Does that rifle like shooting them? At what length does the rifle like shooting them? I mean, there's a lot of things that you can fine tune to feed that weapon ammunition that it's going to eat very well. And
3: I would say whenever they're setting those lines up for like the mass produced rounds, I mean they're literally pushing out hundreds and thousands of rounds per minute per hour so i mean they've got the whole system i mean it's fully automated where they're doing everything just right there really quickly um and they've they've kind of optimized all of those components for mass production so they're going to be able to mass produce the same thing over and over but that's really mass produced for i mean their test rifles at the
2: factory and that ammunition coming off there has to go into every minimum chamber that is produced in the world, where your reloaded ammunition will be customized to the firearm you are loading it for.
0: What else comes to mind, maybe that we didn't hit in terms of why why someone should consider start reloading? Is there anything else that we kind of missed in that in that question there?
3: I would say, I mean, it's also, I mean, making your own ammunition is pretty therapeutic. I mean, mm-hmm. You can go. You can go into your, your reloading room and and work on. I mean, just going through those whole process. It's something to do besides sitting around watching TV or doing nothing around the house, just twiddling your thumbs. I mean, it's it's an activity that gets you active, gets you kind of thinking about, about things, and uh, take your take your mind off the world when you're making ammo. Yeah,
0: it's true. I it, I've reloaded thousands and thousands of rounds of handgun ammunition. Um, I've centerfire rifle is still new to me but um the process uh isn't necessarily new and that's something that is for sure i would validate it's therapeutic it's kind of like a relaxing thing to do it, it it's one of those things where on one hand it takes attention and focus but at the same time it's kind of a mental break um from everything else at the same time so that's a good point
2: and then you have a bunch of ammo you get
0: to go shoot and the fun <laughs> begins <laughs> <laughs> yep Awesome, guys. What about guys who are maybe questioning safety? Like, I think this goes back to the intimidation factor of how do I know I'm not going to blow myself up type thing? You know, I want to keep all my digits. So talk just a little bit about the, you know, the safety factor of getting started reloading.
2: We uh, actually... Have like a little intro to hand loading to give you the basic steps thereof. But we also tell people, get a good quality reloading manual and go through it, read it. Everything you need to know, good and bad, is in a reloading manual. Uh, the spare manual tells you, you know, what to look for in cases, primers, if things are, you know, are going wrong. It just, uh, it, it helps tell the entire story of you know okay here's where you're going if you see this this is going on so it, it just kind of helps to have that understanding before you get going with it
3: yeah and then they also have i mean the every bullet manufacturer has their own manual so if you're using spear bullets you go through there you have a 30-06 and you're shooting a 150 grain bullet it'll have all the powders that they've tested and the the different charge weights that they've tested with those bullets, so you know that if I put in, what's a good thirty out six charge weight, say, what fifty grains of, of powder, it's going to work well with with this bullet. And this is the powder that they've tested it with, so you know that hey, this this bullet and this powder combination mm-hmm. are within the safe the safe pressure specifications. Because they have, I mean, they have special pressure uh, pressure measuring tools that they put on their test barrels. They can test how much pressure each load's producing, and then velocities. So you know that, hey, this this one's gonna, this combination is gonna be a safe combination. Mm-hmm.
1: This might be jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, it's on the same topic of when I look online, research, and guys talking about it on forums. They talk about seeing pressure signs. Can you elaborate on that? Like,
2: yeah, you can look at uh, at primers. Typically, you know, if they're real flat, if they have Weird marks on them. If they have rings around them, that's an indicator of high pressure. Uh, you know, some some cartridges, depending on headspace, you'll start seeing a ring around the base where they're starting to separate. Okay. But typically, if you look at a primer, I mean, you'll you'll kind of know if you squeeze the trigger that oh that didn't feel real right. Look at the primer. If it's really flat, if it has like indentations from the bolt face on it, pressure eh, pressure's probably a little high.
1: Mm, okay.
2: And I'd
3: say that makes
1: sense.
2: And I would say if you're looking for those flat
3: primers, take one of the rounds that you just loaded, and then compare it to the round that you just fired through your rifle. And you can – I mean, it's a pretty pretty big visual indicator. And you, you can tell it right off the bat that they look different from each other. Okay.
0: It's, you know, as we talk about safety, I think high pressure and essentially uh, an explosion, if you will, is typically the concern. But can you maybe talk just real quick again for guys who are newer about the issue with too um, too low pressure and what a squib load is and that whole aspect? Because if a guy's going out and shooting uh, maybe new rounds that he's just reloaded and uh, God forbid has a squib load, he you know the worst thing you could obviously do is follow that up with oh let me try that again um can you talk about what that is because i think that's sometimes an overlooked um safety precaution as guys are typically most concerned about too much pressure
2: yeah squib loads aren't good either uh yeah if you don't have enough to get the uh, bullet down the barrel it becomes a a very big issue because that bullet will be lodged in the barrel. Uh, the individual probably doesn't know that it didn't come out. And when you follow up with the next shot, bad things can happen. Now you're throwing all that pressure back down the plug barrel and, uh, firearms can't come apart. And I would say,
3: I mean, when you're shooting them, you can tell if you have a squib load pretty quickly because the recoil will be different. The, it won't be nearly as loud as your normal rounds. Um, it's just kind of, I mean, one of those things, if you're familiar with, with how your rifle shoots and reacts and, and recoils and everything else, you can tell pretty quickly if you have one of those swib loads. And a lot of it's just paying attention to what you're doing at
2: the range. A little tough for a revolver, though. Yeah. <laughs> shooting cowboy stuff. True. These guys are shooting 3.2 grains of bullseye just to get it there. And
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, <clears throat> a guy who's maybe never been around the reloading world at all is just always, you know, picked up a rifle and shot off the shelf rounds. You might not even be, uh, aware of what that is. And it's obviously could be, uh, incredibly dangerous. So worth touching on for sure. Let's go ahead and, um, just talk about, we'll get into the, um, equipment here in a second, but we've mentioned components. We've talked primers and bullets and powder, um obviously brass is one of the four components as well just go ahead and like let's take a quick we'll deep dive into these later and talk about you know bullet selection powder selection etc but just give us the basics on these components starting with primers and again covering the basics of they're small and there's large and what are guys looking for magnum non-magnum as it comes to uh, center fire rifles and the primers what the role is and how to select one
3: Yes, yeah, so a lot of that goes back to your reloading manual so I mean your reloading manual will tell you also what primers that they've that they tested each load with if whether it be a a magnum rifle or a, a standard uh, your two two threes of smaller cases will will usually use a small rifle primer, which i mean the size that you can't put a large rifle primer in a small. Uh, and around round that takes a small rifle primer. You can't put a small rifle primer around a that takes a large rifle primer. Um, those are the size differences. You will see with your larger cartridges, you'll see a Magnum designation on some of them. So like your, uh, your 300 wind mags and your kind of those big case capacity cartridges, they'll call for a Magnum primer. So a Magnum primer, you typically have the same size as your, your large rifle primers. But they... Uh, Let's see, they have a little bit thicker cup on them to, to handle those higher pressures, and they put out a little bit more flash.
0: Okay, so essentially, the flash is what's igniting the powder, and the magnum will will have more of that. Essentially,
2: yeah, it's a it's a longer, hotter primer.
0: For there's certain cartridges and calibers that um, have obviously the same brass profile because we're talking about the same cartridge and caliber, but. Can take, like, there's certain brass manufacturers that will use a small, and then certain brass manufacturers that will use a large primer. This is, again, probably jumping ahead, but are there pros and cons to looking at that um, in terms of standardizing? I'm going to use brass that uses a small rifle primer versus a large for the same caliber. Um, wh- why do different brass manufacturers take that approach of having different size primers for the same cartridge or caliber?
3: So there's like, you see that really more in like your uh, kind of those target type rounds. I know, like the the 6.5 Creedmoor, which is a really good hunting round, also, you see that where you have some manufacturers that have the small rifle primer, some that have the large. Uh, Some of those, some of the competitive shooters, they feel that the small rifle primers will deliver better, more consistent results um, than the large rifle primers. But really, for for most individuals, they're not going to know the difference between a small and a large rifle primer on their rounds. They just they're not shooting enough. They can't really uh,
2: tell that much with their groups. I
3: mean, what do you think?
2: Steve? Yeah, that it, it's a consistency thing. But like I said, that you take the six five Creedmoor and the PRS, so you're reaching out to those distances. They are seeing a consistency difference between the large and the small.
0: The small being more consistent. Correct. When it comes to powder, that's a whole long discussion in and of itself because it's there's a lot of variables there um, and what makes a good powder per cartridge, per round, per conditions, etc. But is just a, for again, guys who are new is a good starting point just to look at the manuals to look up um, what cartridge you're loading and to assume that it's um, safe and reasonable to stick with some of the powders listed in the manual.
2: Absolutely, yeah, this
3: is one of those things that I wanted to touch on you if you go on forums and social media, you see a lot of people that post post their formulas and unless you're able to verify that with somebody's reloading manual, I would be very cautious of using any of that information um, just because they don't necessarily have the same testing tools and equipment that the the manufacturers have to test to make sure that that those loads. Are safe and everything else so yeah. always consult a, a reloading manual or manufacturer before you just take one of those gospel loads that you hear on online and just start plugging it away in your rifle uh, and then you'll also see like you'll see that like there's a an accurate 4350 and a hodgden h4350 you want to make sure that you verify your accurate with your accurate powder manual and your hodgden with your Hodgdon manual because they might have a similar a similar uh, burn rate and and profile there are differences between those two so you can't just use Hogen forty three fifty data for accurate forty three fifty
0: okay gotcha. so just
3: just making sure that you you double check everything and and make sure that you're using the correct data
0: okay great. Um, one of the other main components, obviously, is the brass, the case itself. Um, and we'll talk uh further as we get into this, um, beyond this basic series about brass prep and sizing and all of that. But it, just again for this base introduction, if guys are looking to reuse brass, um, and not you know not purchasing brass, what are just some of the basic things to look for? I mean, obviously, if if a guy's if it's his once-fired brass, if he's been saving brass from the off-the-shelf um, uh, cartridge he's, he's been shooting, that's one thing. But then there's also getting brass secondhand, getting brass from a buddy. How do, I guess, first things first, Like, how do guys know if it's safe to use brass? What should they be looking for?
3: So you want to look for things like splits in the case neck. Uh, there's a paperclip trick that you can check for... Uh, For headspace separation where you take your paper clip, kind of bend a little tip on it and put it inside the case and kind of feel around for a a little ridge. There's a a ton of different videos online that that show people what to look for uh, when you're reloading those cases. If you do buy once fired cases from people and you're seating your primer, if it's really soft and easy to seat, you want to throw that piece of uh, brass away because that primer pocket shot.
2: Uh, what else did I miss, Steve? Uh, I mean, that that's it. Those are the signs to look for. Plus, we have a case master that'll check for that head separation. But, uh, it, I, you know, personally, when I collect brass, it's the stuff that I'm firing out of my firearms. It's usually the same head stamp. We don't pick up range brass or anything like that. You just don't know about it. It's just... That's, like I said, that's a personal thing, but I'd like to keep it consistent. And I would say another thing is if you're using,
3: if you do buy a once fired brass from people, then make sure that you do separate those, those head stamps, head stamps because your Winchester brass might have, or will have a little bit different specifications from a Federal versus a Lapua, uh, versus a Hornady. Just because each one of those manufacturers uses a little bit different alloy, uh, some of the, the different measurements can be a little bit thicker, a little bit different. They have different case capacities, for even in the same caliber. Mm-hmm. So if you are creating a load with your your Federal once fired, make sure you just keep that load for Federal. And if you change to a uh, Hornady brass, to a Lapua brass, to a Starline brass, that you go and, and verify that load is still the same. Because more than likely, you're going to have to tweak your powder charge just a little bit to get... A similar result
0: when you say tweak it a little bit um, percentage wise what is that typically pretty minimal Um, do you just recommend like reducing by a certain percentage and then working back up what is um, this is probably more advanced but I just I'm just so curious now as you say that like just as a quick rule of thumb what would that process look like and just you already have a great load and you're changing brass how would you approach that
2: well I mean Typically, you'd probably just load a few up, three to five, you know, with that load, then look for different signs. Uh, chronographs will tell you a lot, you know, so you can kind of make adjustments from there to see where you're at compared to what you were doing. You know, check for those pressure signs. If they're not existent, check your chronograph, you know, the velocity's higher or lower, make adjustments from there.
0: Um. Yeah, that's a good that's a good little chat through the components. Let's get back into the equipment. You know, we mentioned previously the the rock chucker and the kit and we'll kind of dive into um, the different equipment needed. But let's just start with presses. If guys are brand new, we've already thrown out the term single stage, that type of thing. But as guys are looking at presses, there's single stage and there's turrets and there's progressive um, styles of presses just real quick. Um, Steve, what are those different, essentially high level types of presses and then what is, um, good for someone getting started and sticking with center fire rifle, um, cartridges?
2: Okay. Single stage presses are just what they're called single stage. You're doing one process at a time. Uh, you know, you'll be sizing the case in, you know, in rifle, uh, you'd be, priming, charging, then you would swap over and then seat the bullet using a different die in that same press. So you're essentially doing one process at a time. A turret press gives you the ability to set up a couple different calibers in a press. So you can go along and size one, dump powder, seat a bullet by turning the turret to, you know, the individual dies. And then the progressive presses are what they are. They are a high volume loading machine so you pretty much have your quantity in the progressives and your quality in the single stage and then turts are kind of in between
0: and so as we're looking at quality and accuracy primarily for center fire rifle for our needs a single stage is um what most guys are going to want to go with and in terms of also, especially for beginners, just in terms of simplicity, it's much easier and safer, I think, to stick with a single stage.
3: There's a lot less to go wrong on a single stage press Correct. than a progressive, because if you think about your progressive press, I mean, you might, if you have the seven station press, you'll be doing seven operations every time you pull that handle. So there's a lot of things that you have to look at that you have to set up. They take they take considerably more time to set up um, just because there are, all those different processes going at once that you literally have to dial in each process to be perfect before you move to the next one. So they do take a little bit more time, a little bit more understanding to get those set up for single stage. If you're just doing your size and you thread in your size and die, you take some measurements and then you can start reloading.
0: Yeah. We'll get into setting up presses and dies and all that here uh, in a future conversation for sure. I'm curious, just as it comes to single stage, you know, We've talked about the Rock Trucker, how that's been around forever and it's, to this day a fantastic press. At the same time, keeping things in the context of RCBS, because that's what you can speak to. I mean, I'm curious that you'll see developments and you'll see newer, even single stage presses. Um, compare, for example, like why the Rock Trucker has been around forever. It's a great press. And then you know, take something from the R C B S line like the Summit, which is also a single single stage press. How would guys choose one or the over one over the other if they're looking to get their first press? What are some of the advantages um, or just differences of something like a summit compared to the rock chucker, that type of thing?
2: Well that the big thing is I like you said, the rock chucker's been around forever. It's a fantastic press. It is the single stage press of the reloading industry. Uh, the Summit Press came along as we were looking for something a little different, uh, you know, because we pretty much have done the presses, press designs that we've done for years. Well, the Summit, it's like, let's do something different. And it it developed into what it is today. You know, it, it's different because it sits on top of the bench. You don't have any linkage underneath the bench. Um, it's open. And to tell you the truth, that press really turned out a lot better than we expected it to. It has taken off in the PRS ranks. It ranks right up there with the rock chucker in some instances with bullet seating even better. It just it, it turned out to be just something that was different that's really rock solid.
0: And that's probably, you know, again, most beginners could just look at the rock chucker um and probably look at one of the kits and you know that would do just fine the summit's more for probably someone who's more experienced they're looking for something maybe a little bit different um i could just see guys getting maybe like confused of these are both single stage presses that can take dies and do the process like what's the difference so just understanding that a little bit i think is helpful
3: yeah and i would say that uh, i mean for most people we're, we're always going to recommend going with like a rock chucker, mm-hmm. just because that O-frame press is so rock solid, they're never going to wear the thing out. It's going to do everything that they need it to do. Where if you look at the Summit press, I mean, just the the guys that we talk to all the time that shoot for us for whatever else in the the competition market, they're getting exceptional bullet seating with it. So, and you can do every single thing on the Summit that you can on a rock chucker. But it really shines when they're seating bullets. I mean, they're getting really, really straight cartridges loading on there. That where some of the guys are lock-tighten in their their seating die and just they have one press set up for seating one particular caliber and bolt Just because it's getting zero. I mean, they're the bullets are zero, zero, zero. I mean, they're as straight as straight can be, and you can't get any
0: better than that. So as we talk about single stage press, um go ahead and walk us Steve through like we talked really you know briefly before about you know reloading is essentially assembling out of the components that loaded cartridge. We talk about single stage, you mentioned in their sizing and priming and seating and all that. Just walk us through the process really simply, super high level of you have a single stage press, you have dies, What are the steps, essentially, in order um, to go through the process of reloading um, that centerfire rifle cartridge?
2: Okay. You would take your fired case. uh, If you're putting it in a rock chucker press, you'd set up your size die according to the instructions. uh, Insert the case into the shell. Run it up in the size die. The size die is going to form the case back down to a SAMI specification that we design our dies to. Take the old primer out so that when you bring the case back out of the die and also expands the neck, you will have a size, the prime cartridge case. At that point, you uh, need to insert a new primer. Uh, you need to dump the powder charge you're using. And then the size die would come out of the rock checker. A seat die would go into the rock checker and you would seat your projectile into the cartridge case. And it's Pretty much that simple.
1: Well, the size die, how? Yeah, on the size die, how does that? Is it just going around the the largest circumference of the the casing, the, or is it like following the neck? I, I'm kind of confused on that process.
2: Uh, our, we have neck dies, but we our, most of the dies we sell are full length size dies. And full length being that the entire circumference of the case plus the shoulder is being sized inside.
1: Uh, okay. Dyes. Okay, that makes sense. So we're
2: setting the headspace back, we're bringing the base, shoulder, and neck down, and then when you bring it back out of the size die, we have an expander ball that's pulling through the neck to size the neck a couple thousandths below to accept a projectile.
1: That makes sense. Okay, so it's, it's basically like a mold of a brand new case. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're pushing it on, it's just pushing it back to its original shape. Correct okay
0: so for that process on the press um you essentially have two dies, two processes on the press with with a little bit of work in between in terms of priming and powder charging um the rock chucker supreme kit is going to include that the equipment for the in between in between processes if you will in terms of priming and powder charging walk us through what that looks like so there's a, a hand priming tool and then how does powder charging work at least in the context of that kit as well just to help guys understand okay there's a press it's gonna perform these processes between those processes what am I actually doing with that case?
3: Sure so if you look at the if you look at priming there's a few different ways that you can prime. So the rock chucker if you just bought the rock chucker press itself it does have an on press priming feature. Uh, it has pretty much a priming arm that you put the primer in. Then you, when you're bringing your case back down, you put that priming arm um, into the ram, and then you seat the seat the primer that way. Um, that's the way that a lot of people learn. Um, however, there are easier tools, and within that kit, we do include a hand priming tool, which you put your your box of primers in the tool, you shake it a little bit, and all of them will turn where they are facing the right direction, and then you put you just kind of shake it until you get one primer in there. Um, the seat. You put your bolt, your your case on top. Then you squeeze the hand priming tool, and you can actually feel the the primer getting seated in that case. So every time that you're uh, working through and seating those primers, you can it's kind of a they call it the the feel of that of seating that primer. So you can feel how consistent all your primer pockets are because they all kind of feel the same. And if you get one that is a little loose, you'll be like wow, that one was really really easy to seat that primer and you can pull that case out. So, I mean, you get better feel with the hand priming tool, just a little bit more, uh, you just have more sensitivity to it, just being able to squeeze that, that primer in there.
2: Hmm. Uh, and
3: then we also have like a bench-mounted priming tool, which uses a little bit longer lever, uh, kind of that same process to, to seat a primer. So you have a little lever that you'll, you push down to seat it, and you get, you get really good feel with that also. Uh, so once you have your, your case primed, you measure out your, your powder. So you can use, make a variety of different electronic powder dispensers where literally typing in the grain weight. So you can type in, say you want 38 and a half grains, type in 38.5, you hit go and the dispenser will dispense all the powder down onto the scale and it'll stop it when it hits 38 and a half grains. Um, so those are really quick, really easy, and, and they're very consistent and repeatable. Um, so you know that every charge, every cartridge is going to have the same charge weight. Then we also have our uh, kind of our normal Uniflow powder measure. And where, that's the one
2: that comes with the kit.
3: And that's the one that comes with the kit itself, which is a great powder measure to, to use and learn on. Um, that's kind of set by you have a metering screw and a rotor where you'll take that that powder charge. And every time you pull the handle up it will dispense powder down into a powder pan and then you take that powder pan and you put it on a scale to make sure that it is the exact charge weight take a funnel and pour the powder into the case and,
2: and
1: then seat your bullet yeah
0: it's just that easy guys <laughs>
1: <laughs> probably is it's, i got i think i got to like start just do it you know just get all the everything out and start doing it just to better understand the process i think it's yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to talk about it.
0: Yeah. Right. We're for sure going to do a lot more and look at, I mean, there's all kinds of questions and, you know, looking at God, I have a million questions, but I think that is a, a good place to kind of um begin to wrap up this first stage of the conversation of just understanding, you know, what's the process, what's equipment is required. I'm really curious to see like Steve for your perspective example As you get into this, like what questions you do have yeah. listeners. If, you guys have questions. We're going to continue this conversation into future episodes, so it'll be great to be able to address those. Um, Steve, is there anything, I guess, from from this conversation um, where you have like a high level question still, or are you just like excited to get going and then um, look at the more detailed topics a bit later?
1: Yeah, I think it, I, I just need to start get going on it. And then I'm sure just a million questions are going to pop up as you dive into the process. Yeah. Awesome. Oh,
2: they definitely will yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if they should i mean as they yeah. should you know so they definitely will but we definitely have the answers for you perfect yeah. but i mean the biggest thing with
3: it is is just you have to get over that initial intimidation with it and just start start going through the process and i mean once you start doing the whole process it kind of picks up it's like oh yeah that makes sense i see why that's done i see how that kind of works mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah. I guess one thing, um, you know, in this beginning stages that we didn't cover because it's not part of the reloading process, but it's part of essentially uh, a critical part of um, shooting and validating your loads. As is, is we've talked about a chronograph is really just looking at, you know, you have this manual that's going to tell me if I make this uh, quote unquote recipe, right? So this bullet with this bullet weight, this powder with this powder charge, it's going to give you... Um, a velocity that you should be seeing. And so part of the process that's really important for validating your loads as well as um, you know optimizing your loads, which we'll talk more about later, is just that chronograph piece. Um, do you guys have any recommendations on that? And just basically, let's say Steve makes his first loads here. As he goes to the range, what should he be doing? How should he shoot those loads? What should he be looking for? Um, you know, as he is firing those first rounds that he makes?
3: Yeah, I would say for me, whenever I have a new round that I'm trying or just trying making some tweaks, I typically try to shoot uh, like a five-shot group versus a three-shot group. Uh, that's usually kind of to me, the the way that you can really see consistency. I mean, three shots, anybody can put three shots touching, but once you start getting into the five, you can start, your, I mean, your rifle starts to heat up a little bit and, um, and you can start to, things kind of start to open up a little bit more. But whenever I'm doing that, I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll take like five dots, like five half inch pasters and put them like all in a row or, or kind of around a box and I'll shoot one round on each paster because then I'm, I'm just focusing on that one paster at a time and then you can see, Hey, each one of those rounds is high left, so just off the paste on the left. That's really consistent. You might not have that really tight group that you can measure and, and show off to all your buddies right there, but you can really see that consistency um, when you're doing those kind of those dot drills and those dot groupings. Um, another thing on your velocity is you'll be able to tell really quickly if those velocities that you're seeing in that rifle match up to what was published in the reloading manual cuz they do give velocities in there so you know you will be able to say oh yeah this rifle and this load is is really consistent with what the factory tells me um and there's a ton of there's a ton of great chronographs out there now that, that make it really easy to uh, to get those velocities
0: mm. yeah awesome
3: anything you want to yeah, ask Steve? plus
2: out of a chronograph you'll get standard deviations too which are pretty key to consistency
0: Okay. Can you just again for guys who are new? Can you explain what that standard deviation is?
2: Well, it's it, it's going to be the spread between the vo- velocities of the uh, the ammunition you're firing. So the lower the SD, the lower it's the uh, the standard deviation, the lower the spread. It'll just it's more consistent.
1: Yeah. So you're firing through the chrono, and one's going to say twenty nine hundred feet per second, and the next bullet should say you know an extreme spread would be like twenty nine fifty or something, right?
2: Yeah. Correct. <laughs> You'll, you'll be able to get those strings and do the statistics on them and see what they are. And there are a lot of variables when you look at a manual and you may not be getting the velocities that that manual says. Mm -hmm. They're, they're shooting all this stuff through a test barrel and they're pretty much, they're recording velocities, but they're looking for pressure. Mm -hmm. They don't want to exceed a certain amount of pressure. So those loads will be within a SAMI specified pressure spec. But they're listing the velocities, you'll be around that.
3: Yeah. There are a lot of variables. You know, I would say, I mean, like if you have a 26 inch barrel where their test barrel is 24 inches, a lot of times those 26 inch barrels can have higher velocities than those 24 inch barrels. But I mean, <laughs> what you're looking for is, is consistency and, and making sure that, I mean, those rounds are, you're not seeing any of the pressure signs on those cases and, that they're similar to that. I mean, if you have if you have a round that's the manual says it should be 2,900 feet per second. You go out and shoot and it, it's 2,700, then there's a discrepancy somewhere that you need to look at. But if it's 15, 20, 30 feet per second, 50 feet per second even, mm-hmm. that's not to me that's not a as big of a as big of an indicator. But if it's a few hundred feet per second, then then it is. Then I would definitely look at something but I mean a lot of times I mean it's barrel length barrel length is very dependent on velocity so yeah I mean I worked up a load for my uh, my daughter went deer hunting this year for the first time and she was using a a six by forty five which is pretty much just a a necked up two twenty three and I mean it has an eighteen inch barrel and all the loads that I could find were with a twenty four inch barrel so there was some big uh some bigger velocity discrepancies there just because six inches of barrel is quite, quite a bit, bit. Quite a bit of, of length for that powder to burn in that barrel. So,
0: Makes sense, fellas. This has uh, been a great start. I'm excited to continue this conversation in the future and to get more advanced and to discuss our own experiences um, as we get into this process ourselves. But thanks for the time today and excited to get you guys back on here again.
3: Definitely. Yeah, we're looking forward to it.
0: Well, again, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. If you have questions on this topic that you want us to answer in future episodes as part of this reloading series, be sure to let us know. Just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Thanks to the guys from RCBS for joining us. They will be back as we get further into this topic on a future episode. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button and we'll catch you next week.